Hello and welcome to the Hospitality Insights podcast, In Focus, a series that brings you insights and opinions from influencers across the hospitality industry. Join us every week for new content from guests discussing investment, development and operations. The conversation starts here. So hello and welcome to Hospitality Insights in Focus. I'm Patrick White, Editor-in-Chief at Hospitality Insights. And this week I'm joined by Andrew Harrington, founder of AHV Associates. Hi, Andrew. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm good, Patrick. Thanks for having me. Great to have you on. So, um, so I think you founded AHV back in 2001. Is that right? That is correct. 20 years ago. And, you know, in those 20 years, we've seen a lot, a lot of change, not just the current situation with COVID, but, you know, the global financial crisis, um, can you talk us back to those early days and, and why you found the business? And um, yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, my, my my background is investment banking. I was ten years at a major investment bank, and I, uh, but I also come from a small business background. Uh, my family has small comes from a small business background, and what um, what I wanted to do was um, basically marry the two, right? So bring the professionalism of investment banking through to privately owned businesses. And that's what we do. Uh, we uh, provide investment banking advisory services on you know, selling companies, buying companies, raising all forms of capital uh, for privately owned businesses. And for the last 10 years or so, we've focused pretty exclusively on the hospitality market. And what kind of size are we talking about and, and which kind of uh, locations and areas are we talking about? Yeah, I mean, it's anywhere where we can add value is the truth right so we've advised american companies looking to acquire in europe we've advised asian companies uh looking to sell where the natural buyers are in europe we've advised companies in in many many countries in europe right over the years um and size wise i mean you know it's very difficult to make money uh, below 5 million because we have a retained model, a monthly retainer model and success fees and exclusivity. So, you know, we position ourselves in the sort of specialist to the end of the market where we, we you know, we charge premium, a premium price for premium services. Uh, and, and it's difficult really for us to make money at less than five. Uh, and we will, you know, we've done 150, 200 million deals over the years. So it, it's that sort of area. Uh, and I will always talk to people. I will see people who want to do less than that because establishing relationships is the key part of our business. Establishing relationships is the key part of our business. We don't do beauty contests. We, we establish relationships. Over, and over time, you know, potential areas of business where we can work formally with the client, you know, emerge. And that's really how, we, uh, how we've done it from the beginning. And like you said, you've been doing it for 20 years. So I'm just curious, has the type of buyer or investor, has the profile changed over the years? Have you seen different types of people coming into the hospitality market or is it, is it pretty similar to how it was back in 2001? No, it, 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 it's, it's different. I mean, I, mean, I, mean, you've got, I mean, you've got some constants, right? Don't you? You've got the Middle Eastern and Asian investors loving London, Paris, Amsterdam, you know, all that stuff. Uh, 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 and willing to pay premium prices for premium assets. 
you had some private equity companies interested in the space. Uh, then now you've got a whole load, right? You've got different types of capital as well. You've got a whole load of lenders that, you know, mainstream and, and other lenders who, who really, you know, were not in the market 20 years ago, but, uh, but now are very much in the market. Uh, you've got different structures, different debt structures, senior debt, mezzanine debt, unitrans, preferred, participating, preferred. You've got ground rent structures. You've got you've got the whole range of different structures with a whole range of different um, different investors, right? So so you know it has changed a lot. It has changed a lot and is continuing to change. But some things are quite interesting, Patrick. Some things don't change, right? So the SPAC phenomenon appears every time there's a crisis, right? Yeah. So we had SPACs in the early 2000s after the dot-com crisis. We've had them after the global financial crisis. We've got them now. Uh, and they die down because the business model is actually fundamentally flawed. And although you get some big successes, and that's great, you get a whole load of failures, and then it sort of dies down for a few years. So there are some things that are common, but the capital market, the structure of the capital market is very different. That's interesting. And um, it kind of leads me into your the big document you've produced in the last week or so, your semi-annual reports. Um, and it's kind of like, a, you know, I've had a look through it and it, it does, it paints a fairly vivid picture of what the market's like at the moment. I just wondered if you could kind of talk us through a few points maybe you see as being very um, valid about the state of affairs we're in now and maybe some things that, you know, you want to talk about. Yeah, sure. I mean... What we wanted to do every six months, we produce uh, a, a report which we distribute. Um, we also do monthly sort of updates, um, etc. A little bit of a plug: if anybody's interested, go onto our website, sign up for free. You will get um, all the reports, monthlies, etc., that we publish automatically. But I think you know we wanted to do something. We we, we did a piece last November uh, called "Reasons to Be Cheerful" because we felt last November. This is really before the big vaccine rollout, right? That things were a lot better. You know, the prospects were a lot better than people had thought, right? So we entitled it Reasons to be Cheerful. So we thought we'd do one now with, a, okay, well, we've had the vaccine rollout. That's great. Stock markets are doing really well. You know, lots of optimism now. So there's a sort of, well, so what happens now, right? We, you know, hotels are just reopening around um, around the world, you know, what can we learn from the different countries? What can we learn from the capital markets? And we attempted to make some predictions. And there's a number of things, I think, that are becoming very apparent. First of all, hospitality is bouncing back quicker than even optimists like me were thinking. Right? Look at the US. Right? You've got half the country, plus or minus, that's pretty much back to normal. Some parts of the country have ADRs and RevPars higher than 2019 you know, the big tourist areas, et cetera, et cetera. The other half of the country, which are the top five, top 25 markets, are uh, struggling, right? But they're much better than they were. They're just struggling because international tourists are not there, you know, to the same extent. Uh, the big conferences take a while to get back, the business meetings, et cetera. But even within that, and the same is true in China, by the way. China, you know, a lot of the countries bounce back, and it's pretty much normal for a lot of... Uh, uh, most of the hotels in China, right, particularly towards the bottom end of the market. The, the luxury end is struggling, right, again, for the same reasons. But towards the bottom, it's pretty much normal, in some cases higher than normal. 
right? But within all that, there's some interesting subtrends, right? And all I can do is repeat what the CFO of Hilton said on their call for the, for the last quarterly result. He is surprised at the extent to which business meetings are coming back, right? And he's saying it's not just the bookings they're getting, it's the inquiries they're getting. And this is repeated, you know, whoever you talk to. So I absolutely think that the pessimism over business meetings is massively overdone, right? The conferences are going to take a while to get back, but they will come back. You know, people love meeting and the evidence is in China and in North America that this is the case. You will know this from IHIF, right? Mm. Which I'm sure is going pretty well. So that's the first thing. Um, the other thing, sort of a couple of other things really, I think are highly relevant. One is hotels over the course of the last year, as everybody knows, have had a really torrid time. And most have actually reduced, uh, used that time to become more efficient, reduce costs, introduce technology, right? That maybe they hadn't had time to, to really introduce that has very positive effects for the future because it means costs are low and for a given rev par margins will be higher so those that survive which will be the vast majority right will be in a better place so i think that's very important the final part uh, or the well, sort of the third thing that i think is very important is that the finance is there the capital markets have generally been very very supportive of hospitality and government packages have been very supportive generally right so most hotels the vast majority will emerge from this crisis they will not be distressed and they will emerge from this crisis we would argue in a better place right and i guess associated with that is the green revolution you know, yeah, I was going to ask you about that because it's yeah. I, that I picked that out very interesting, and um, yeah. certainly on the financial side of things, we talk a bit about the, the building side, but actually the finances completely, is, yeah, completely. I mean, uh, you know, if, if you look at the academic research, then across the board, across the capital markets, you know, bonds that can be labelled green bonds are like fifty to twenty basis points lower in yield than non-green bonds at, a, at the same level in the capital structure with the same credit rating. There's some evidence that hospitality, the difference is going to be much bigger, right? And if you look at the Whitbread offering a month ago, very, mm. very interesting, right? It was between 70 and 130 basis points lower than a similarly rated non-green bond. Uh, there were two tranches, so there's the, slightly different maturities. That's why there's a, you know, I talk about 70 to 130. And um, certainly if one looks at hospitality, there's a potential very positive scenario for green hospitality if it's done right okay and that is you get higher adrs higher occupancy because corporates will want to send their people to green hotels because that's what their customers are insisting right driven by west coast yeah. of the united states pushing people towards the esg agenda that will translate into high occupancy higher uh, adrs for those hotels that qualify you get lower cost of funds because lenders, equity people, they all want to invest in ESG compliant uh, uh, businesses and, and real estate. And then at the back end, the yields are going to be lower because institutional buyers want 
again, they're under pressure to buy ESG compliant products. So for the hospitality industry in particular, there is a golden scenario if you can get the ESG call right. And really, you know, that, that, is, that is an easy statement to make, right? And getting ESG right is, is difficult, but if you can do it, it's potentially very, very exciting. Another thing you mentioned or look at is transaction trends and um, yep. you know, a couple of countries, Germany and the UK, um, seem to be doing quite well, like certain cities are doing well. I mean, where are the, what are the winners and losers? Um, so where are the winners and losers so far in, in the world in terms of cities and countries? Yeah. So, so you know, such is the availability of funds because interest rates are very low quantitative easing has been everywhere and substantial government support that 16 percent of gdp is like three times what it was in the global financial crisis there's huge amounts of money around right and uh hospitality has its attractions not least the visibility of its income right and um that is translated into lots of interest in buying in major cities, the traditional areas, right? The problem has been lack of product, lack of stock to buy, mm. because why would you sell when your hotel is closed and we're in the middle of the biggest crisis since the Roman invasion, right? <laughs> if one uses a slightly uh, slightly sort of a tongue-in-cheek term here. Um, and the answer is not many did, right? But those that did went at a premium. Those that did went at a premium. Right. So volumes are down substantially, but good hotels in good locations went at a premium. OK. And and that is because there's a lot of confidence in hospitality. There's no real question mark over luxury hotels in central London or, or in Paris or in Venice or whatever it is. Actually getting back to 80, 90 percent occupancy at very high ADRs. Everybody believes they will. I certainly do. Uh, and, um, you know, there's any questions. So so for a certain type of investor, paying a premium for that is still very attractive because they've got they need money to put to work. Right. I mean, outside of the main cities, you know, domestic leisure, anything that's anything that's got domestic leisure all over it is very attractive right now. That's why holiday parks have been doing really well um, in Holland and in the UK because uh, there have been transactions in those places. And of course, extended stay right many of the extended stay companies be it apart hotels or service department or corporate housing have been 50 60 70 percent full last year which means that they've broken even or better which is hugely attractive it highlights the defensive characteristics of that asset class and there's a lot of money uh, looking to be put to work in that area and and this is all highlighted by the um, the fight over extended stay america Mm. Uh, Blackstone and Starwood buying it at a premium, a big premium to its previous um, share price, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, there's lots of good trends. And I would expect over the course of the next six months to transaction activity to increase substantially. We're certainly seeing this in our business. Uh, I don't think it takes sort of, you know, three to six months to put together something. And uh, I think it will extend into all areas of the hospitality industry. Is this interest you think in parks and resorts and service departments? Well, is that gonna is that trend only gonna keep growing and growing, or is there a kind of a will there become a realization where things will settle again? Well, I think what what it's done is highlighted the attractions of these business models, 
right? Highlighted the attractions of these business models. I mean, we take extended stay to use the American terminology, right? Extended stay is a brilliant business model. You've got lower sales costs because people stay for more than one night or more, you know, more than two nights. Sometimes it's five nights or 30 nights, whatever. So the average stays a lot higher than a hotel. You've got lower operating costs because most of them are not full service, right? So mm-hmm. you've got higher margins. You've got lower break-even at um, um, uh, a rev par. You know, uh, there's there's massive increase in demand. Um, a lot of people who stayed in them last year because they didn't want to stay in hotels or whatever it is think, oh, this is really cool, isn't it? Right. And in the Deliveroo, Uber Eats era, there's a part of the market that, you know, wants a bigger room with the kitchen and doesn't really want to pay for full service uh, because they can order in when they want and it's et cetera, et cetera. So mm-hmm. what, what it's done. Patrick, it's highlighted the attractiveness of the business model. And the same is true for holiday parks. Holiday parks is a great business model, right? You get, you make profit on the sale of the lodge. You make annual profits on management fees. You make ancillary profits on food and beverage and all that sort of stuff. It's a very well-balanced business model, which is why private equity have been involved in that space for like 15 years. Mm. And, and finally, while well, I've got you here, you know, you said you wrote the you wrote the reasons to be cheerful document six months ago, and you've got this one now. What, what do you think you'll be writing in in, that, in six months' time? What will, what'll be the, the headline there? You looking well, to the ball for us? Yeah, look, I mean, we 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 we've developed this trend of of uh, of having our research named after famous songs, right? You're too young to remember reasons to be cheerful <laughs> in the blockhead, and of course, so what happens now is a great great song from Evita, right? Uh, the musical, uh, which you're probably too young to remember, but many <laughs> many who are listening to this will remember. So I don't know. Look, in six months' time, uh, you know, I think one has to take a look and see. You know, is there too much exuberance? Right? You know, there may be too much exuberance, I and mean, I think there's going to be a great six months, but it could be that it's just got too much. Right? I mean, there is an argument that. You know, we're going through a boom, but you know what? Things will normalize in a year or two, and domestic leisure will probably get back to 2019, maybe up a bit. So there's always the chance that expectations will get too frothy and valuations will get too frothy. So there's that argument. So it could be with putting a little bit of caution in six months' time, it could be that it's sort of continue as it is you know it could mm-hmm. be that 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 it's it, it it's done well but there's much more to go so it, it's going to be what you know i hope it's not oh my god there's we're all locked down again and the whole thing's <laughs> gone pear-shaped but let's let's put that to one side right but it, it, it's probably going to be one of those two type of themes but who knows right who knows if i knew i would be on my desert island wouldn't i i'd be on my own island right well, well, we'll have you on in six months' time to to chat through to, through whatever, whatever the situation is. Um, so, Andrew, we can look forward to seeing you at this year's IHIF. Um, are you looking forward to being back? Of course I am. I'm very keen to be back. Already booked my hotel. Already booked my flights. Nothing's going to keep me from there. I will be there. Perfect. Look forward to seeing you. Thanks very much to our contributors and guests for creating this week's episode. 